0: Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gada. Join me each week as I speak with future saints about being saints. Today's podcast is titled Solitude and Silence with Father Robert Nixon. Father, how are you doing? I'm very well, Brendan. How are you? I'm doing well. To begin, I'm going to let you uh, just introduce yourself, Father, to our audience.
1: Sure. I am Father Robert Nixon. I am a monk of the Order of St. Benedict. And uh, my monastic community is the community of New Norcia in Western Australia. And Norcia, the original Norcia, was where the founder of our order, St. Benedict, was born. It's uh, over in Italy, not far from Rome. But we are in outback Western Australia. We were founded by Spanish monks back in 1846 as a mission to the Indigenous people of Australia. And we are the oldest continually existing religious community here in Australia and the only one founded by Spanish. So uh, as Benedictines, our life is focused around prayer. We pray together seven times a day, praying the divine office, the Psalms, uh, chanting them. We keep the tradition of Gregorian chant uh, alive here in our monastery. And um, we also provide ministry of hospitality in terms of a guest house, spiritual retreats. So we're a kind of spiritual oasis where people can get away from the busyness of the world. And for Benedictine monks and other kinds of monks, The cultivation of solitude and silence is uh, so important. It's an important part of our charism. We have within our monastery strict times of silence, and um, at other times we generally try to keep an an atmosphere of contemplation. So um, I believe that this is not something only for monks and nuns, though, but something which all Christians need to incorporate in their life as a type of spiritual refreshment and strengthening.
0: Mm, Amen. Well, I've had the fortune to spend a little time with the Benedictines in Cleveland, Ohio. They have a monastery there, and I've spent a few weekends with them and always most especially blown away by the Benedictine spirituality of just hospitality. And so I'm sure it it sounds like uh, your order uh, follows that as well, of course. Uh, but today, of course, we're talking about your translated book, which is Solitude and Silence, The Cloister of the Heart, which is based on the writings of St. Or sorry, based on the writings of Thomas the Kempis. Uh, can you tell the audience firstly just a little bit about Thomas and, and then what inspired you to translate his writings? Yeah. Uh, so
1: Thomas the Kempis um, was born in Germany in the year 1380. He um, as a young man, his his parents were um, kind of middle class. His dad was a blacksmith. His mum was a village school teacher. And he felt called, he, he distinguished himself as a scholar from an early age, but felt called to enter religious life. And um, while he was a student for a few years, he joined this confraternity, a Catholic confraternity called the Brotherhood of the Common Life which is a little bit like a religious order, but without vows. So he was a member of that. And then uh, as he uh, grew further into adulthood, he joined the Augustinian canons, which, of course, uh, at that stage were following a, a pretty monastic life. And he gained a great reputation as a spiritual director and a spiritual writer. His greatest and most famous work by far is The Imitation of Christ, which is believed to be one of the most influential books of Christian spirituality ever written. Um, and as well as this, he wrote um, a large number of other works. His complete his collected works uh, go to about three or four volumes in the original edition. Each of these volumes is, you know, um, 1,500 pages or so. Mm. So the, uh, an immense quantity of work, probably in volume, almost e- well, equal to the writings of Thomas Aquinas. Um, but for one reason or another, not too many of Thomas Aquinas's other writings, apart from The Imitation of Christ, have been translated into English. And this is over the last few years through 10 books, this is something I have been uh, working on little by little. And um, this particular work, Solitude and Silence, is a quite short work, something he wrote in response to a request from a particular person asking for some spiritual guidance on these so important uh, values. And so he put together this small handbook for their benefit. And uh, I felt it was remarkably relevant work uh, for people today, since we live in a world which is uh, so noisy and busy and in which it's so hard to obtain for ourselves genuine solitude and silence to uh visit these values and to 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 become aware of their importance again so that was what um what drove me to translate this work of of Thomas de Kempis into english and uh Thomas a Kempis passed away in fourteen seventy one at the age of ninety one uh, and he um, he's venerated uh as as a servant of God as a venerable and also uh, sometimes identified as blessed he's never actually been canonized and um the reason that is in my opinion um is because a person, well, for a start, there has traditionally been a certain amount of uncertainty about whether he really wrote The Imitation of Christ. And scholars today believe that he did. But in the past, there was a certain amount of uncertainty. People were attributing it to a range of different authors. The other thing, of course, is that a person isn't canonized just on the basis of having written a book. And we need to, to remember that. So although he was certainly a very holy man, um there wasn't a call for his canonization at the time, and uh and since then I guess it, it's just it hasn't been something which has been pushed strongly. Um but uh you know, I think we can we can recognize him as a blessed, as one of those who are filled with a particular grace of inspiration and with the skills. share it both through his spiritual counseling when he was alive and through his writing now that he has passed away from this world yeah well it's beautiful
0: i i want to get into a little bit about the book um and and a thing you mentioned already you talk about you know solitude and silence how do these practices of solitude and silence benefit the modern layperson
1: um Well, they benefit us in a a lot of different ways. One of the first ways he identifies in solitude is mindfulness of God. And uh, God, of course, is always with us. His presence is always there. It's just that we can often be distracted from this presence. So when we take away the external distractions, whether this is interaction with other people or interaction with our own work, or with electronic uh, devices increasingly these days. When we take away those distractions, we fall back upon what's left. And what's left is our own soul, our own conscience, and also the almighty God who is with us at every moment. And so this uh, going into solitude and silence, taking everything else away, for a while, is the perfect way of coming into contact with God, who's been there all along. It's just that we've been often distracted from Him.
0: Yeah, well, this podcast is going out during the Lenten season, so I think this message is even more applicable. Um, Of course, silence and solitude are always applicable, and that conversation with the Lord, of course. But especially during this season, when people are going to be thinking a little bit more about the need for for silence and solitude. This is, I think, just such a relevant and beautiful topic. Um, how would you say you see individuals in today's busy world integrating solitude and silence into their daily lives without fully adopting a monastic lifestyle? Or what are some
1: yeah. tips you might give? So this, in fact, is something which, uh, which Thomas Akempis speaks about, because even in his day, uh, this was back in the 1400s, he was writing. We might imagine things were very different, but in fact, a lot of the same things, you know, gossiping, curiosity, um, idle chatter, distraction, um, of course, wasn't well, with computers in those days, but it was with books or with activities, um, to what we need to do is to be disciplined and to set aside a certain time, I believe, in our daily routine or if not daily, at least uh, a few times each week, um, where we really practice in a strict way this silence and solitude. And you might think, well, you know, that's going to be hard for me to do around my house because a family's there or a place of work. Um, You need to work out uh, something which will make you um, alone for that period of time. It might be going for a, a, a solitary walk. Somewhere, Or it might be uh, taking time for prayer in the form of um, Eucharistic adoration or even just silent prayer uh, in a church or in a chapel or even in uh, one's own private space if you have a particular area. And I think often uh, nature is, is, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, God's greatest church. Because there we are, uh, you know, we lose sight of the the temporary and come more deeply into contact with God through his created, uh, you know, created glories. But nevertheless, we need to assign this time. And it has to be a, a reasonable amount of time. It has to be, you know, at least half an hour, 45 minutes or even an hour. And to free ourselves um also of electronic distractions, to leave our phones at home during this time and, um, and to recognise that to sink into this silence and solitude, we can't just do it in five minutes um, because our thoughts are active and we can be distracted with what's going on around us. So to, um, to, to make it a, a substantial enough period of time when our external thoughts will come to rest. So, I think we need everyone needs to do this, and um it can be hard to do it just sitting still, so I'm a great believer in the practice of silence and solitude while doing things which also involve a certain amount of physical activity, so it might be for some people um walking or it might be something else um, you know uh, but but to have it there, to have it as a disciplined part of one's lifestyle because The the amazing thing is, some people might say, you know, I don't have the time to spare for this, but I believe that if a person takes time for silence and solitude, when they come back to their work, they'll be more focused and more disciplined. And it can be amazing that when we uh, are dissipated in our mental faculties and our inner strength by constant communication, we actually become ineffective and inefficient at our jobs And I'm sure people experience this in a lot of workplaces uh, where there's kind of constant busyness, but not very much productivity. So by having this silence and solitude in a disciplined way, when you come to do your work, you do it in a disciplined way and and get it done properly and well. Yeah, well, I think this is
0: uh, just such a relevant topic, as I've already mentioned and as you've mentioned, but uh, just thinking about. The extra distractions we have today, you know, the electronics, especially our cell phones, uh, it just can consume us in a way that is, of course, not beneficial for building up the body of Christ. Um, Can you elaborate just a little on the concept um, as Thomas kind of describes it a little bit in the book? We'll be right back. Interested in learning more about your faith? I invite you to check out Good Catholic. They are a digital media brand focused on sharing and teaching about the faith. From podcasts to blogs to digital series, Good Catholic has it all. Use the code in the show notes to get 20% off your order at Good Catholic.
1: Yeah. Um, so he talks, uh, you know, about the dangers of excessive speaking, of excessive communication. And this is something which um, our Holy Father, St. Benedict, says in his rule as well, that in much talking, you won't avoid sin. And uh, if we think about it, uh, how many sins we encounter through uh through conversation, and at a certain point, he uh, gives us a list of these. He says, who can fully judge or comprehend just how many varied other sins and vices which come through our words? Let us ask ourselves how often are our words pointless and profitless, flippant and foolish, fatuous and fallacious, fouled and presumptuous, cruel and cold, angry and aggressive, dissolute and dissipated, lustful and lascivious, vainglorious and vapid, detracting and demeaning, mendacious and misleading, scandalous and scurrilous, dishonest and deceptive, hurtful and harmful, superfluous and senseless, illicit and ill-timed, unlawful and ungoverned, and impure and improvident. The answer is, alas, almost every time we open our mouth. He might be exaggerating a little bit there, but the point is, when we talk a lot, when we communicate a lot, It has a a habit of drifting into gossip, talking about other people's business, speculating about things which we don't need to speculate about, detracting from others, uh, pointing out the faults in other people who aren't there. And then, of course, you know, unconsciously, not even deliberately, sometimes impure or crude uh, thoughts or jokes or whatever kind of creep in. So he is um a big advocate of restraint in our speech, as is saint benedict um that we're not completely silent, of course, as monks we we uh we show hospitality to our guests, we show courtesy and um civility and fraternity to our brother monks, but at the same time, we don't just spend a lot of time chatting away because that almost always leads to some of these sins he's spoken about. And so many of our sins and vices are actually vices of speech and communication. So I think uh, we need to to be very restrained about that. And and by this restraint, cultivating careful control over what we say. Yeah,
0: I, I know I've seen this in my own life. You know, the times that I get in trouble, uh, especially I think when I was a little younger, it was always when I just decided to say one more thing than I needed to, you know, just running off at the mouth and uh, not to say I've mastered this virtue at all of self-control or, or prudence, but I, at least to some degree of at least learned the necessity for those things and trying to then achieve them. I, I just have one more uh, question regarding the book for you. I, in Regarding the community aspect, how do you envision the role of community and fellowship in the context of a spiritual life that also values solitude in, in silence, as, as Thomas uh, advocates?
1: Yeah, so this uh, community aspect of monastic life, and which um, Thomas Akempis is very much aware of, because he did also live in a community. Um it's only in a community that we can ex- actually exercise the gospel virtues of patience and charity. If a person is all by themselves, it's really easy to be patient and tolerant and charitable. It's only when other people enter into the picture that these things can become a challenge. <laughs> so um, we need to uh, to be mindful of those to show people to you know to use speech as a means of communicating uh, compassion, charity love, respect, and so forth. One of the ways, in fact, we can do that, though, is often more by listening to people than by speaking. And um, this is where silence is so important, you know. And I think we should all ask ourselves, you know, if I'm in a conversation with another person, am I talking more than 50% of the time? If I'm in a conversation with four people, am I talking more than 25% of the time? Or, you know, 10 people, it's 10% of it, and so forth. And, you know, um, I think realistically, um, we need to think, well, should I cut back and give other people a chance to be heard? And this applies especially to people who sometimes maybe by nature are more reserved. They might need a little bit more silence um, for them to come forth and share what they have to share. The wonderful thing about listening is not only it's an act of respect to the other but it's also an opportunity to learn. You know, as long as we're talking we're not learning anything. We might we might think we're teaching other people things but but we need this silence uh, to this humility to enter into silence to take on the role of the listener and learner. And if we can continue to have that role of the listener and learner throughout our life, you know, I think um, we will continue to grow in the virtues and in this inner strength, uh, which Thomas Akempis is such a wonderful example of and advocate for. Well, if
0: somebody wants to get the book, Father, where can they go to, to get it? So
1: I would recommend going to the Tan Books uh, website. So tanbooks.com and you'll be able to order this uh, book. It's a very, you know, can always do a great uh, production of their books. They're very well presented and built in such a way that they, they're going to last and be a thing of beauty. Um, and they also have there a number of other works of Thomas the Kempis, which I've uh, translated for them over the last few years, as well as, um, as various editions of The Wonderful Imitation of Christ, which is um, second to the Bible, one of the essential books which every Catholic should read at some point in their life, if not read several times. Yeah,
0: well, I will link all of those uh, to the show notes so that anyone who's listening to this can find it. Any final thoughts that you have regarding this book?
1: Um, Yeah, I would recommend to people... um, it gives a lot of practical suggestions about things you should do, reflect on, or or try doing, and to put them into practice. And you'll find, and I, as I translated it, I tried all of the things he suggested myself. Um, I find that they, they are, in fact, very effective, and it really works. Well, I will allow us to get to silence here in
0: just a second. I have two quick questions for you, Father. Um firstly, who is on your Mount Rushmore of saints here in the United States? We have these rocks that have four president's faces on them. maybe you know of Mount Rushmore uh um, yeah I do so i'm I'm taking that you know analogy or
1: putting putting saints faces on it. Who would be on yours uh so firstly, I would say Saint Benedict, who is the founder of our order and the great patron of monks um. Saint uh, Saint Bede, the Venerable, who was an English monk of the 7th century and um, tremendously uh, learned and with a great intellectual curiosity, but very humble. And um, then I would say Saint Francis of Assisi. Now, even though I'm not a Franciscan, Saint Francis of Assisi did live with the Benedictine monks at different stages and, you know, his ideal of poverty and simplicity Uh, is so very inspiring, and then finally, uh, Saint uh, Pius V, the Pope, because of his um, intelligence and his penetration about what needed to be done to make the Catholic Church strong at a time when it was being gravely attacked and undermined. Mm. I like it. All right, one final question for you, Father. God
0: willing, one day you are going to be a saint yourself. What are you going to be the patron saint of?
1: <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, one of my hobbies, well, not really a hobby, but part of my profession is, is as a musician. I love playing music, you know, um, and I'm a piano player. And to this day, I believe there's no patron saint of the piano. So if I ever make it to being a saint,
0: there Why it going is. To the
1: patron saint of piano players. <laughs> I love it.
0: I love it. Well, thank you so much, Father, for coming on. You're always welcome. Uh, if you translate another book or if you want to talk about another topic, uh, you're always welcome on the "Gotta Be Saints" podcast. Anyone who's at home who listened today, make sure to pick up Father's book or Thomas Kempis's book. Uh, it is in the show notes. But have a wonderful day and God bless. God bless. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and check out goodcatholic.com for more details.